Join us as we unpack emerging trends and changes in digital transformation with the executives, entrepreneurs, and investors responsible for shaping the future of their industries. In these interviews, you can expect to hear candid conversations about the future of technology and the role it plays at some of the largest organizations in the world. Our hosts are members of the Kunai team, an agency that has been building software products for over 20 years. Today, your host will be Sandeep Kumar Sood. All right, welcome to the Kunai podcast. Today we have Eric Sager, the COO of Plaid. Uh, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Um, so both of us share uh, some history at Capital One. I think for you, it was your first job out of college. Is that correct? It was. That's right. It's the very first job I had after, uh, after leaving school. That's great. And I think one of the things that people don't realize about Capital One, now that it's kind of a big bank, one of the top 10 in the U.S., is that back in the 90s and early 2000s, the way Rich Fairbank and Nigel Morris leveraged data was fairly revolutionary. It was a, a very new, at least in the banking system. Um, can you talk a little bit to that and tell us what the, some of the key things were that you learned there? Yeah, I think it was an amazing time and place to kind of learn a lot of the, the foundations and, and much of that has kind of stuck with me um, throughout my throughout my career, um, both in terms of what the people there taught me. And one of my first managers was Cindy Bandari, who's now the chief strategy and risk officer of the firm. He was at Lending Club before um, and many others, you know, Mike Wassmer, Joy Burson, Scott Barton, um, a number of others who were kind of involved in the fintech ecosystem. Um, I think at the time, it was really focused on what Capital One called uh, information-based strategy, IBS. So it was all about kind of rapid testing and learning. Um, I was working on partnerships we had at the time with Kmart, with Lowe's, with Carnival Cruise Lines. And it was just an amazing experience. So like there was not a single thing that we didn't test. Everything from you know the size of the font to the, the shape of the envelope, the color of the envelope, the APR, the credit, like every single possible combination. Right? And we would do some of the things you would never ordinarily do simply to learn, right? So we were giving people that were very high risk, really high credit limits, we were trying to give people with, with who are lower risk, like very low credit limits, simply to see what happens. Not because we thought it was optimal, but just to kind of really understand kind of the entire space. Um, and that kind of testing and learning philosophy is something I've really kind of taken with me to kind of all the places I've worked, right? It's, it's really important to make that easy. And so you, you do that one small piece at a time. And by the time you get done, you've, you've come a long, long way by stringing together a lot of relatively small incremental improvements based on like this constant drive to test and learn. That's fascinating. And I think even more fascinating is you were probably doing this uh, with spreadsheets. There were no sophisticated tools. There was no A-B testing software. This was all sort of managed with Excel. Is that right? Pretty much. Yeah. Most of it was, uh, most of it was done in Excel. And so it was, you know, me at 22 years old with like my Excel spreadsheet and, and <laughs> off we went. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> cool. So I'm going to turn uh, next question to the recent uh, news, the recent headlines about Plaid. Obviously, the visa merger has now been canceled. Um, and this to me is a question much more applicable to a COO than a CEO even, which is in the wake of such a huge change when employees were expecting one thing and expecting sort of things to change dramatically by the end of the year. Instead, you're back in the driver's seat of Plaid. The future is very bright. 
but it's a huge change. Um, how do you approach managing people, keeping momentum alive or going or even stronger than before in the wake of such a huge change? I mean, first of all, as I think we've done, uh, we've really focused on being incredibly transparent with our team, right? And so that, that, that means keeping, keeping them abreast of kind of where we are um, in the process, keeping them abreast of how the business is doing at a very granular level of detail so that everybody can kind of see the strength of the business and the, the, the potential for the business kind of for themselves. And I think that helps a lot, right? Like if, in a situation like this, yes, there's a lot of uncertainty, but if you also don't have transparency and you don't have all the facts available to you, that's really where I think as, as an employee, you end up getting kind of stressed out. And so the way we've tried to address that is by really giving people all the information that we have um, to the extent that we can, right? But that is pretty much, in most cases, that really means all the information. Everything I know, the vast majority of people at Plaid know as well. Um, and then I think that really kind of helps give them confidence uh, in terms of where we're headed, the business, um, and everything else. Mm -hmm. And does the roadmap change dramatically? Do you suddenly shift project focus or is it really whether Visa had acquired or not, the roadmap is, is not really that effective? I mean, we've, we've spoken to this publicly um, before, right? Our commitment was always to kind of run the, the business independently. And so from that vantage point, nothing really has changed in terms of kind of what we're doing from a roadmap perspective. Right, like the things that we were working on before, we're always working on it with a mindset of there are certainly certain areas where I think Visa could have helped accelerate it even faster, maybe. Mm -hmm. and, and there's other areas where, um, you know, we were already having kind of a lot of momentum. But if, in terms of what we were actually working on, that that hasn't really changed at all. Right, like, and we're still 100% focused and committed to kind of making sure that we built the best possible solutions across the entire fintech ecosystem for consumers, for developers, and for the financial institutions as well. Got it. Um, and, you know, one of the things that came up uh, during the merger news or the cancellation of the merger news is this idea of Plaid adding um, more services beyond the data network. So obviously payment was one of the ones that came up. Um, and you and I talked about this briefly before uh, recording. What are some of the major next steps for Plaid in terms of Plaid Exchange or in the pro or in terms of the project in general, the product in general, um, in terms of features, in terms of new tools for customers to implement on their own via Exchange? Can you just talk a bit to what's coming? I mean, I, I can't speak specifically to things that are kind of, you know, that we haven't yet kind of made publicly available in any way, shape or form. Um, I can certainly give you a sense of the kinds of things we've been thinking about um, and any you know, of the changes that we're making to kind of the products and so forth as they exist today. But I think the first area is really for us to continue to, um, you know, increase the gap that we know exists between us and many of our competitors when it comes to kind of quality, right? So that both the quality of the connections, the quality of the link experience, the ability to kind of seamlessly kind of convert consumers. The second area is to continue to enhance the solutions that we provide to consumers themselves, right? So making it even more transparent um, giving consumers the ability to kind of um, maintain control throughout kind of the entire cycle. So we launched a dashboard for consumers that they can use to see all the connections that they've done through Plaid to permission and unpermission those connections. Because fundamentally, again, our view has always been it's, it's the consumer's data, right? And so consumers should be in control of their data and they should have full visibility into what's happening um, with their data at, at all points um, in, in the experience. And then third, we're investing a lot in kind of products that are helping financial institutions, right? Or predominantly aimed at helping financial institutions. And so 
from a financial institution perspective, there's actually kind of two ways you, you would interact with Plaid. One is, um, you know, as a customer. So in the same way that, you know, we have a whole range of kind of fintech customers, banks too, our, our customers are actually increasingly coming to us looking for our help to build um, their own kind of techn- uh, their own digital financial solutions. And then the second area is around, you know, from a data from a data access perspective. And so there, um, like you mentioned, we invest where we invested heavily in a product called Cloud Exchange, which makes it very seamless, right, for banks to be able to integrate. And it's a huge advantage to them because so many of their customers, they they love the they love the bank account that they have, right? They trust the brand. They have they've had long relationships there. They just want to be able to easily connect that bank account and the data in that account to be able to use some of the other services out there, right? Whether it's a Betterment or whether it's a, a Square or a Venmo or many, many of the other fintech solutions that kind of exist on, on, on the, on the Plaid ecosystem as a whole. And so we're really focused across all those areas you know, and continuing to enhance the products and solutions as they exist today with kind of developers, helping consumers um, increase, further increase transparency and kind of make sure that they're fully in control of their data and then investing in, in the tools and, and solutions that are available for banks as well. Yeah, that's great. I think I've myself have noticed it's generally, I, I mean, I test so many fintech products, so I'm very aware of how long it takes for Plaid to connect probably more than a normal co- customer. And I think over the last year, I've noticed it's gone down from maybe 15, 20 seconds to five to 10 seconds max to connect. And so I've, I've definitely seen that improvement. Yeah, I mean, I was a customer of, of Plaid's um, you know, before before I joined, and, and, and that is really important, right? Like making sure that it's a really seamless experience, and so that means that the, that the speed is there, um, the usability is there, um, everything else. And so we invest constantly in, in kind of that flow, um, based on feedback from consumers, from banks, and from from our customers, kind of continually optimize it to make it the best it can be. Yeah. So it seems like fintech is front page news almost every other week these days. Um, and we're talking uh, a day, well, actually on the day that Robinhood uh, cut off access to uh, retail traders having the ability to trade stocks like GameStop and AMC. Um, and that reminded me uh, in preparing for the podcast a, a week ago, I listened to Zach Perret, Plaid CEO, um, on the Invest Like the Best uh, podcast with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. And he mentioned a story that really captivated me, um, talking about 2008. Um, he was in New York walking through the Occupy Wall Street protests um, and really sort of, it really crystallized the mission for Plaid in his mind where he wanted to uh, really make sure that consumers had power over their own data, that they got to decide who had access to it and who didn't. In that vein, can you talk a little bit about how strong that mission's remained, especially in light of of this week or this week and a half where these issues of consumers having power over data or the ability to make trades has is, is become really pertinent? It's incredibly strong. I mean, for us, our mission today is, is still, right, like unlocking financial freedom for everyone. Um, and it's a story that, that Zach told me actually um, when I was deciding on whether to join Plaid or not. And it's, it's something that really hit home with me. Um, also, just having gone to the, you know, as I went through the interview process and obviously now having worked um, at Plaid for, for more than two years, like it's something that I think is important to pretty much every single person at Plaid, right? Like everybody has a personal story. Like for me, it was, I remember when I first came to the US um, and I remember my first credit card was $200 and a 34% APR. 
And, and the, the reason for that was I just didn't exist in the American system, right? I didn't exist at any of the credit bureaus or anything else. Um, and if I had had access to something like Plaid, and, and there were developers at the time that were building on something like Plaid, they could have leveraged a lot of it. I would have happily shared some of the data, right? Like in my accounts from Germany, in order to be able to kind of much more seamlessly kind of make the transition into the American financial system as well. And so for me, that's just one anecdote, but there's so many stories like that, right? Where um, the way I think about it, my wife is in, in, in healthcare and that's obviously a hugely important area as well. But like outside of health, for many people, right? Like the financial, their own financial lives, the financial lives of their family, the financial lives of the business, it's kind of the second most important thing, second most sensitive thing that you're focused on. And so I, I am really proud, I think, of a lot of the work that our teams and Zach and others have done like long before I even joined to kind of help build that foundation that has allowed all the innovation to happen, right? Whether that's helping reduce the APR on loans because there's more choice, whether it's helped educate and kind of provide personal financial management tools, whether it's made it more seamless, right? And cheaper to kind of move money around. Like all those things are possible because of the infrastructure investments that we've made. Totally. And platforms, by definition, create more value than they capture. And so these are, it's the, I think the most inspiring thing to a lot of us who work with the API is the, is how quickly we can launch a dozen fintech applications and try all sorts of new solutions. Um, and speaking to that, uh, another story I recently learned about the company is that the company started out trying to make front-end applications, actually trying to build tools for savings or investment, and then discovered um, by almost randomly that a lot of their friends starting companies in fintech were really interested in leveraging the backend. And suddenly it dawned on the founders that actually the backend is much more powerful. And that makes me think, of course, of things like AWS and how they discovered it kind of by accident that their backend was this powerful. And in your position as COO, that sort of management ethos has to jump out at you once in a while where you you have to think about how do I leverage randomness? How do I look at side projects to see if there's potential for a real business model here? Is there a model for that? Can you approach a system where you're actually fostering support of random projects or discovery of random projects? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think it is amazing how many businesses, how many great businesses have actually been built similar to that, right? Where the business you were first getting into wasn't really the business that you ended up growing big. It was the problems that you encountered in trying to do that and then help solve where suddenly the thing that was the, was the, was the, was the business that you were meant to kind of build all along. And that's certainly true for Platt, right? I think in the early days, like you said, they were trying to build something else. And then um, they figured out that like in order to be able to build that, at a, at, build a good solution, they needed access to the financial data. They solved that problem. And then they realized, wait a second, like that was actually a much bigger problem for everybody, right? And that's something that everybody else wanted to be able to really duplicate that. I think in terms of kind of replicating that, there's a couple of things I think we try to do um, at, at Plaid and, and I've tried to do at different, uh, different, different stops in my career. But like one is I think you have to be open to that. It was just, it's a mindset question, right? Like if you think you've already kind of got it all solved and you've got your boundaries kind of clearly defined, you're not going to be able to be open to those types of opportunities. The second is I think you have to have a structure in place where you're willing to make some of those bets, right? It, it's a, they're not company like level bets, right? It's like I can do three, four, five things and if they don't work, that's okay. But we do that all the time where we, where we commit 
cross-functional teams to pursue some of these kind of new adjacent opportunities. And then we start really hearing feedback from you know, financial institutions. We start hearing the feedback from consumers. We start hearing the feedback from developers. And then once those things start taking hold, then we, when, then we kind of launch from there. And, and many of the products that we've added over the history of Plaid have followed that exact recipe, right? It was initially we had products like Auth and then we, we added transactions, but things like investments um, or liability are just consumers came to us, customers, developers came to us. We put a small team in place to kind of see what we could do there. And then suddenly we saw the traction, we saw the opportunity kind of continue to expand it. And many of those products today are a very meaningful part of our overall business. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Um, and looking forward, I think one of, the, one of the most staggering things to me about finance and fintech in general is we have cutting edge, fantastic data networks like Plaid, where um, we get 10, five second, 10 second linkages to accounts, suddenly data is flowing back and forth. But the thing that data is flowing back and forth about are transactions like ACH, which take two to three days to clear, the computers turn off at 5 p.m. when the market closes, and um, it still works the way it has worked for the last 30, 40, 50 years. Um, do you, when you look at things like ACH, and I don't mean to press you for features or what's coming up with Plaid, are there ways in which being the data network for ACH transactions, are there, do you have a unique perspective on how a system like that could be replaced? Um, and just to frame the question a little more, do you see something like ACH being replaced over the next two to three years? And do you think Plaid has a role to play in that? It's hard to answer those kind of questions on, on like specific timeframes. Um, you know, I, I certainly think that as the infrastructure gets better, as the expectations from consumers become higher and higher, um, that all these things will continue to evolve and get better, right? And it's, it's not just us. There's, there's so many players in this ecosystem that are contributing to kind of raising the bar in terms of like what we can deliver um, uh, to, to consumers and to, to businesses. And so forth that I definitely think that will continue to happen. And so anytime there's a gap, right, between like your ideal experience as mm -hmm. a consumer, as a small business owner, et cetera, and, and where the world is today, there's an opportunity, right, for entrepreneurs and technology to kind of help bridge that gap. Um, and so that is certainly something that we're focused on, um, whether it's within ACH or many other areas, frankly, right? But that's really the lens we, we go at it with. We look at, okay, what really would be the ideal experience here? Um, and so we, we talk to a lot of consumers, we talk to a lot of developers, we talk to a lot of small business owners and business owners in general. And then based on that, we, we look at, okay, where are we actually? And then how can we kind of bridge that gap to get you know, meaningfully closer to that ideal experience? That's great. Um, and uh, last question for you today. Um, in addition to both having uh, worked at Capital One, we also share a consulting background. Um, and so your, your path uh, from a financial institution then to Bain, um, can you talk a little bit about how consulting in particularly serves you in your leadership roles at startups? I mean, I think it helped me a lot. So as you said, you know, I started my career at Capital One, um, then I went to business school and then, and then I kind of joined Bain. Um, and my Bain experience was amazing. And I, I, was, I was really lucky. I got to work with a lot of fantastic people, um, both managers, teammates, peers, 
um, clients. Um, and I got to work internationally. So I was I was in London. So I, I got to learn how business is done there. I worked in South Africa. I worked back home in Germany and then kind of coming back to the US and from the US working a lot in Asia. Um, and so the ability to be able to like every three months take on a new project where it's a new geography, an, an entirely new team around you, a new client, a new industry, a new functional area, it really, I think, keeps you on like the steep, the steep part of the curve when it comes to kind of learning new things. Um, and so, so many things that come from that, I think, have allowed me to just build a much better intuition, right? It's not like I'm the world's expert in it, right? There's many people that know those areas much, much, much better than, than, than I ever will. But it, it allows you to build an intuition to kind of quickly triangulate, like, okay, is this on track or not, right? And so much of my role today, frankly, like as the business is becoming bigger and bigger and more complex, so much of that is really just kind of identifying the risk and opportunities. At a, at a high enough level so that we can then put in place right the right experts to go out and, and figure it figure it out um, and from that vantage point i think like having had that consulting experience is, is really really um, valuable um i mean I've, I've i've really been lucky and worked at a lot of great places but um i certainly think in retrospect like just the learning there like that every three months taking on something new um was something that like i really uh, i really took a lot away from and it's something that stuck with me you know for the rest of my life I appreciate that. And uh, I always uh, use any opportunity I can get to defend consulting in Silicon Valley. <laughs> so it's great to hear that. Um, Eric, I just want to thank you. I hope we get to go surfing one of these days. Um, and it was a pleasure to have you on. Awesome. I'd love to do that. So if I ever, if you ever come down to San Diego, um, we'll, we'll get out in the way. I think before we got on, you were talking about Mavericks and, and Jaws. Like that's too much for me. I can't do anything. Anything that's taller than me, I'm six eight. So anything that's taller than six eight, I don't surf. That's that's my rule. I like that rule of thumb a lot. Um, thank you so much, Eric. Fantastic. Thank you. Take care.